This is the Down the Drive podcast. Thank you for tuning in. I am Mike Schneid of DownTheDrive.com, your home for all things Cincinnati Bearcats sports as part of SBD Nation. You can follow me on Twitter at MSSchneid or follow at DownTheDrive and also on Instagram at DownTheDriveUC. It's a big week for Down the Drive, coming off of a nice victory week one against UCLA and with the pending Ohio State game this Saturday. So make sure you check out the content recapping week one and looking ahead to this Saturday, a lot of fun stuff. Uh, that'll be the big subject of this week's podcast as well. I'll close the loop on the UCLA game with some thoughts on that victory from last Thursday and, of course, look ahead to Saturday's Ohio State game. Also, later on in the episode, I will have Alex Gleitman join me to talk about the Buckeyes. Alex is a senior writer and recruiting analyst at Rivals, covering the Buckeyes, so nobody knows him. Nobody knows the Buckeyes better than him, so that'll be a good way to kind of get some insights on this weekend. But before we get there, let's start with what happened last Thursday night. Cincinnati got the win. Obviously, that's the most important thing. It's the second straight year. Uh, that they opened up the season with a win over UCLA. It's the 18th time in 21 years that the Bearcats start the season 1-0. Definitely wasn't a pretty game. Uh, I thought there were a lot of mistakes, and there was a lot of things to kind of be disappointed about. But, you know, good teams overcome mistakes and find ways to win. And I know that a lot of people kind of took away from this game that UCLA stinks, and Maybe they do, but I do think a lot of what went wrong for UCLA was the result of strong play from Cincinnati. During, throughout the game, the announcers kept quoting, kept bringing up this quote from the coaching staff, talking about this line that the Bearcats can't beat the Bearcats. And that phrase really resonated throughout the game because really the only reason the final score was 24-14 to 14 and not a larger victory margin of victory for the Bearcats is because they did try to beat themselves. They just made a number of mistakes and it allowed the game to stay close. Earlier last week, Clayton Schroeder at Down the Drive wrote an article um, talking about kind of not overlooking UCLA, talking about this is not the same team. You know, they have a year under their belt with Chip Kelly and his system and his guys. And, and I agreed, and I mentioned that last week on the podcast, that I definitely thought this was going to be a close game, a good game, a much more prepared and improved UCLA team. I thought last year Cincinnati um, stole the game during the sort of a system transition with the new head coach. And, you know, now at the full year, I just thought they were going to be ready. And I was even more, I, was, I think I was more nervous this year than I was last year just because the pressure was actually on Cincinnati. And, Oh my God, I mean, UCLA, again, I think a lot of it had to do with Cincinnati's defense, but there were some things that, I mean, they just, they looked awful. I was really, really surprised at how bad that team looked, and it makes you wonder, Chip Kelly went 46-7 and in four years at Oregon. Uh, that was seven years ago, so you wonder, I mean, at this point, I don't want to use the I don't want to call him a fraud, because uh, he was really successful once upon a time, but he was kind of a bust in the NFL, and he's three and ten in his first thirteen games at UCLA with really no clear signs of optimism. Uh, the best part about the game last Thursday was the crowd was amazing. I'm I'm so proud of my thirty eight thousand friends that showed up and 
made noise for the entire game. The pregame tailgating scene was awesome on campus. The students were awesome. Uh, they got there early. They stayed till the end. That's different. That's something that doesn't happen, not just at Cincinnati, but at most schools. So the fact that the students were there at the end to celebrate this victory was great. Uh, the crowd, the environment, the atmosphere, it really felt like 2009 all over again. And it was an awesome way to start the season. And even Luke Fickle had mentioned it was the first time he really saw Nippert Stadium that way. I mean, last year there were no real, despite the 11 wins, there was never really that big, you know, nip at night moment. There was never really that premier game uh, that fans were invested in. So it was awesome to see the fans so invested. It was so loud that at the start of the second half, Chip Kelly actually told the sideline reporter that the crowd was a factor. That's awesome. That's really cool. That's a lot of respect. But I got to be honest, coming from a Pac-12 team, one that plays games in Oregon and USC and Washington, that is a little concerning to me. Crowd noise should not really be a factor uh, for a a high-profile Pac-12 team like UCLA. But hey, glad it worked. Um, Unfortunately, UCLA... Unfortunately for UCLA, they were rattled by it, and that's awesome. So I kind of want to go back to the mistake. I mentioned before that there, I thought there were a ton of mistakes in this game, um, and there were. But here's the thing about the mistakes. I'm okay with the way that this game played out. This team has flaws. I think that was known. They have issues, and they're going to work through them. I'd rather see the mistakes against a team like UCLA because now you have legitimate tape, and you can kind of prepare for the next few weeks. UCF beat Florida A&M from the FCS 66-0. Uh, Ohio State steamrolled Florida Atlantic. This one, they were up 28-0 in the first quarter. I don't know that you learn anything about those two teams. I don't know that, I mean, if you're UCF and you put up 600 more yards than your opponent, and you score 66 points, I mean, where do you go from here? What do you have to kind of build on from there? And especially with Ohio State coming up this week, a sneaky game with Marshall at the end of the month, and then UCF in Houston, there's really, the margin of error is slim for Cincinnati. So, you know, I'm okay with some of these mistakes, and now they have a chance to clean them up and sort of go from there. I'm going to use Javon Hicks as an example because I'm super pumped and super proud of the way that Javon Hicks played. He started, the sophomore safety started in place of the injured James Wiggins. And what was really his first real playing time at Cincinnati? He didn't really see the field much last year. He made two horrific mistakes. I mean, let's, let's call it what it is. On a third and ten in the red zone, he committed a face-masking penalty that resulted in UCLA scoring a touchdown two plays later. And then early on in the first quarter, he had a misstep on what turned out to be a long 75-yard touchdown. So he had a very rough game, a couple of big-time mistakes. But he also did have an interception and a fumble recovery, so he was really able to kind of recover. But the point being is that would Hicks have made those mistakes against a team like Florida A&M or like a team like Florida Atlantic? I don't know, maybe. Maybe because he's so new, he would have, but maybe not because maybe a team like Florida A&M would not be good enough to expose him and put him in that situation. 
And in that case, you have a guy basically playing for the first time for real against Ohio State, and he would really just be a deer in the headlights next week. So now he made some mistakes. He can work with the coaches, work with the players, figure out what went wrong, and get ready for this week. Another area where Cincinnati absolutely needs to do better is, you know, scoring and capitalizing on some missed opportunities. They had seven offensive possessions in the first half, and six of those, they actually worked into UCLA territory. Yet they came away with just 10 points. That's because there was a missed, third, there was a missed field goal, there was a fumble, and there was a crushing interception at the end of the half. Desmond Ritter from the one-yard line was picked off, and it should have been a 99-yard pick six, but how about Josiah DeGuara made an unbelievable play Almost, I mean, really a game-changing play because at that point it was 10-7. to If he doesn't catch him, he's gone. It's 14-10 going into the locker room, and UCLA gets the ball first. Instead, he chases him down. It turns out to be a 60-yard return. Uh, UCLA commits a couple of penalties, and they're unable to move the ball. So Cincinnati went into the locker room with the lead. But that interception, I mean, they should have come away at the very least with three. They really should have come away with seven. Jared Dokes had a fumble at the 30-yard line as they were moving towards the end zone. There was a missed 31-yard field goal. So these are things that they simply cannot happen if you want to have a chance to beat Ohio State. And, and look, UC might do everything right and still lose, but you simply can't play as poorly as they did against UCLA and have a chance. So missed kicks, turnovers, those are things that they need to clean up. And again, I, I like... I don't like seeing those mistakes, but seeing them against a team like UCLA before Ohio State, they now have a chance to kind of get right and clean it up. One area where I was definitely impressed was defensively. Marcus, uh, defensive coordinator Marcus Friedman is definitely one of my stars of the game. They, they had UCLA's offense completely thrown out of sorts, and I love the adjustments that they made. So on the first UCLA possession, they started out really strong, the defense for Cincinnati seemed overwhelmed. There was a lot of movement and activity at the line of scrimmage. And ultimately, Cincinnati kind of got a little bit lucky. The drive ended in a fumble by Dorian Thompson-Robinson. And from there, you see, managed to fo- refocus, buckle down. And you didn't see as much of those pre-snap activities and motions on the line of scrimmage if you did, Cincinnati was not falling for it. They understood their assignments. They were, they were able to lock in, and they knew what they were doing. On the game, Dorian Thompson-Robinson completed 8 of 26 pass attempts. Just a really, really difficult game for him. Three of those, three of those eight completions actually came on the opening drive, too. So really after that, Cincinnati completely locked down. And I had mentioned Hicks made... A bit of a misstep on a 75-yard touchdown. That was the biggest play of the game for UCLA. Outside of that 75-yard touchdown, UCLA only produced 143 yards of total offense. So really just an outstanding defensive performance by the Bearcats. And I keep mentioning Hicks. He made those mistakes, but he also he was the one that recovered the Dorian Thompson-Robinson fumble on the opening drive. Later in the game, he got an interception. The interception was sort of a gift. It was just a horribly thrown ball. But the fact that he was able to kind of refocus, uh, get in, put himself in that position to get that interception and hang on to it, it says a lot about Hicks 
and it says a lot about this coaching staff and how mentally tough he is that he was able to refocus and continue to make plays even after all of that. So super pumped about Hicks and kind of where he goes from here. Offensively, I thought Desmond Ritter played a really good game. He was 18 of 26. Uh, He did have that one brutal interception, but outside of that, there weren't a whole lot of mistakes. He threw for 242 yards. He had a couple of touchdowns, one, two, Josiah DeGuara early on, and then a little dump-off pass to Michael Warren. The wide receivers showed something. Alec Pierce had a 52-yard completion in the first half as his first career catch. Deshaun Jackson made a couple of nice catches. Uh, Thomas Geddes and Rashad Medeiros were factors. Josh Wiley caught his first career pass in 19-yard reception in the second half. So Ritter wasn't asked to do much. They mostly relied on the running game. They ran the ball 49 times compared to the 26 pass attempts. I think that's just going to be a recurring theme over and over again this season. Uh, Definitely run-oriented offense. But when Ritter airs it out, he... I mean, he, when he airs it out, he airs it out. He has a really strong and mostly accurate arm. So hopefully we'll see some more of that against maybe some of the lesser opponents. And even as they get into Ohio State this weekend, I think what's important is those 49 carries and the 26 carries that Michael Warren had. It was kind of a struggle for him. He only averaged 3.5 yards per carry. UCLA really locked into him, but they continued to feed him. He had 26 carries, 92 yards. He did have a touchdown, plus the receiving touchdown. Not his greatest statistical game, but just a really strong game for Warren. Uh, A really disappointing game overall for the running game because Jared Dokes did play uh, for the first time since 2017. He had 10 carries. He did average 5.3 Yards a carry. He had that fumble in the first half, but he also left the game injured, and his status is TBD. It doesn't sound like he's going to play Saturday against Ohio State, and from there his status is kind of unknown. Charles McClellan is already out for the year with a torn ACL, and Tavion Thomas, his status is sort of up in the air as well. So that would really leave unproven Ryan Montgomery behind Warren. So all of a sudden, you know, last week on on this podcast, I talked to JT Smith about is this the greatest group of running backs Cincinnati's ever had? Now we're down to one. So a little bit concerning for Cincinnati, but that's going to be the biggest key. That's going to be one of the big keys to beating Ohio State is they need to kind of, they really need to establish the run. One of the articles on Down the Drive this week is kind of the history of Cincinnati playing some high-profile opponents in out-of-conference games on the road. Most recently, the games that come to mind is Oklahoma, they played Tennessee, they played Miami, uh, the U, Miami, um, Virginia Tech, and they've had a number of games against Ohio, and they've had a couple of games against Ohio State. So in all of those instances, they got nothing from their running game. It's A lot of the times it's because they fell behind early and they abandoned the run. So for Cincinnati, one of the big keys to success on Saturday is establish the run and kind of just hang around and keep it close because this is not a team built to play from behind. We kind of saw that last year against UCF. Once they went down by a couple of scores, it was kind of over. Desmond Ritter 
only exceeded 30 pass attempts twice last season in 13 games. So it's it, it has to be all about Michael Warren in all those games. And I have these stats kind of laid out in this article, but only not once did any number one running back in those games. Oh, in Michigan. I left out Michigan. Michigan was the most recent one. Ohio State in 2015, Miami 2014, Tennessee, Oklahoma, Virginia Tech. In all of those games, no running back had more than 14 carries. So Michael Warren did that in every game except for two last year, running more than 14 times. So really important that they established a run. And the reason why establishing a run is so important is because you have to get Ohio State to cheat on it because then you get these one-on-one matchups. And I know that Ohio State is known for having excellent players all over the field, but if you're able to expose those corners, if you're able to get them in one-on-one situations, if you're able to take those deep shots, like Riddle was doing a couple of times against UCLA, um, then you can take them. And they'll have a little bit, they'll be able to open up some space and create those opportunities. I think the biggest thing for Desmond Ritter, and again, this is another key, is the battle of the trenches. And offensively, they have to protect Ritter. They have to keep Chase Young far, far away from the backfield, far away from... From Ritter, far away from the running backs, but they have to buy him enough time. And Ritter has to be quick. He has to make quick and smart decisions and get rid of the ball. Quick slants, quick screams, and again, all of that coupled with the run game will open up the opportunities. And then defensively, this is something I want to talk to Alex about more, but defensively, they need to rattle Justin Fields. And I mean this in a very respectful and legal way. They need to hit him. They need to put pressure on him. He actually said after the game against FAU, um, he was asked about taking so many hits. He said on Sunday, I was definitely feeling it. He was crazy sore uh, when he was asked what hurt. His response was everything. So I don't know that he's still going to be sore on Saturday, but he was unbelievable. He was perfect. He was accurate. He was confident. And he had everything going for him with a clean pocket and wide open wide receivers. So it is really important that some of these guys like Michael Pitts and Perry Young and Kevin Muhan and Curtis Brooks and Malik Van, it is really important that these guys put pressure on him and hit him. Again, in a, I'm not, I don't want to hurt him, but just in a legal, respectful manner, they just have to put pressure on fields. And then, of course, the other key to the victory would be playing mistake-free football. All the things I just talked about against UCLA, you need to be nearly flawless, and even if you are, they still might not win, but turnovers, missed kicks, and penalties are all things that are going to doom Cincinnati on Saturday if they keep happening. I didn't even talk about the penalties against UCLA. Cincinnati committed 10 of them. Six of them were false starts. A couple of those false starts came on third and one situations, so it pushed the Bearcats back even further. Those are things that they just cannot do. So those are the keys to the game. You can read up more about them on the site. And you can also read about the history of this game with Ohio State. These two teams have played 16 times. Bearcats have won twice, but they haven't won since 1897. It's been a century. And that's the last time that Ohio State lost to an active Division I FBS team in Ohio. They've only lost three times to anybody that's currently in Ohio. Bowling Green, Akron, Toledo, Miami of Ohio, uh, all those teams. So... Ohio State, I mean, they do own the state. This is a chance for Cincinnati to really come out 
and make a statement. And what I'm looking for from the Bearcats, besides wanting them to cover the 16.5-point spread that I bet on, what I'm looking for is they need to just, I want them to earn that respect. Uh, I know that this is a big game. It's a great measuring stick. You get to play the number five team on the country. The game is on ABC. People are actually talking about the Bearcats now. You know, I don't think this is a team that was respected when they went to Michigan or when they went to Tennessee or when they went to Oklahoma. Those were kind of down years. There's a lot of hype around the Bearcats. So people are paying attention to Ohio, to Cincinnati as they head to Ohio State this weekend. And I want them to just earn it. I want them to prove that they are for real that they are a team that deserves more respect, whether it's in the polls, whether it's the media attention, whether it's in their own city. I, want, I think Cincinnati will come out and they will put on a very strong performance, whether or not that's enough to win. Ohio State has only lost six home games in the last 10 years, and if you take it back another 10 years before that, another six. So they've lost 12 games at home in the last 20 years. So... And none of those games were to teams of Cincinnati's caliber. You're talking about Oklahoma. You're talking about ninth-ranked Michigan State. You're talking about USC, Penn State, uh, teams like Michigan, teams like that. So we'll see. I do think they are going to surprise some people, though. And that's really what I'm looking forward to. It's a big game. Luke Fickle said this week it's not a rivalry. Uh, Definitely a rivalry to the fans, and I think – in the back of some players' minds, it's a rivalry. The media wants to make it a rivalry because the media wants to kind of point at the Cincinnati players and be like, oh, well, you weren't good enough to go to Ohio State, so you had to settle. I think we all know that that's not true. I, I think a lot of these players are ch- now willingly choosing to go to Cincinnati. Uh, Jaheim Thomas did it, a linebacker in the 2020 class. He willingly came to Cincinnati. Wide receiver Blue Smith, who was the number 39 player in the 2018 class, willingly left Ohio State to come to Cincinnati. So you are seeing it. You are starting to see that narrative shift. But again, to me, I just want to see them play tough because the bigger game to me is October 4th against UCF. I think that's going to be the biggest game of the season because that's a game that could determine the AAC East division. It's a game that could... That could really be the difference between Cincinnati playing in the Cotton Bowl or the bad boy lawnmowers, Gasparilla Bowl. So those are the games that mean more to me, those conference games. But I think they get to UCF and they can beat UCF and they can beat Houston and Memphis on the road by building their confidence against a team that is 100% superior and more talented and more athletic and better really in every way, shape, or form. But... If they can go out there, here's the thing. If they can go out there and keep it close, and this, is, this has been the trend in all these games is that they, they can't keep it close. They let the game get away from them. But if they keep it close and they hang around for a, for two, for a half and for three quarters, Ohio State will start to clench up. You have a quarterback making his second career start. You have a coach who really is the full-time head coach, is really only in his second game. They obviously weren't challenged last week. It was not competitive at all. So he's going to have to make more decisions this week. And Justin Fields is going to have to make a lot more decisions as well, a lot more difficult decisions with pressure in his face. So we'll, you'll see how they handle that if Cincinnati is able to keep it close. And I'm excited to talk to Alex Gleitman a little bit more about Ohio State, about how they played last week against Florida Atlantic and what he expects from the Cincinnati Bearcats this weekend.
All right, I'm joined now by Alex Gleitman, the senior writer and recruiting analyst at Rivals covering Ohio State. Alex, how's it going? Hey, Mike, what's going on? It's great. Uh, looking forward to uh, what I think should be a pretty good game this weekend. I'm excited to be here talking about it with you. Yeah, I hope so. I, it'll definitely be more competitive than Saturday. I watched the first, I guess, 10 minutes, and I think that's all I needed to see. Ohio State completely dominated. But then what happened? Did they just take their foot off the gas? Or, I mean, what did I miss after those 10 minutes? Yeah, I think it was a combination of things. I think, first off, you're dealing with kids that are 18 to 22 years old, and you go up 28 nothing, and when it looks like you can win 100 to nothing, you kind of just, as you said, I don't think Ryan Day necessarily took his foot off the gas, but I think the players kind of were like, all right, well, we can pretty much just snap it, throw it, catch it, and it's going to be a touchdown at this point. That's kind of what it looked like, those first four possessions. So, I think you had a little bit of that. I think Ohio State, it being their first game, unlike the NFL where there's a preseason, unlike high school football where there's scrimmages, in college football there's no scrimmages or anything of the sort. There's only intra-squad scrimmages that you have during fall camp. So I think the Ohio State coaches uh, wanted to do some things, wanted to try some things out once they got that nice 28 nothing cushion that you would see in a scrimmage. So certain plays, certain formations, they actually rotated in the backup offensive tackles, both on the left side and right side. I think all of those things contributed to a little bit of a lull in which Ohio State didn't score on eight straight offensive possessions. And then on top of that, you know, FAU, they just didn't quit. Uh, you got to give kudos to, to Lane Kiffin um, and his team. I think, you know, they uh, adapted during the game. They tried some new things. They sent a lot of pressure on defense, on blitzes that Ohio State maybe wasn't ready for. They did some things on offense uh, that uh, took advantage of what Ohio State was doing on defense. I, I also think Ohio State didn't want to show the whole playbook, whether that be for Cincinnati or opponents in the future. They knew they can kind of play a vanilla offense, a vanilla defense, work on some things. And I think that kind of all uh, encompassing all those reasons kind of just contributed to a little bit of a lull. They kind of got things rolling a little bit in the third quarter and then kind of the fourth quarter kind of the same deal there. So overall, I think solid win for Ohio State, 24 points to a team that's expected to make a bowl um, and compete for their conference title. But uh, there's a lot of good things to take away, but a lot they can certainly work on this week, which I think is is a good thing for, for Ryan Day. If they went out and they won 77 to nothing, you know, maybe, maybe there's not as many teachable moments heading into what I think is going to be a much more difficult game uh, in week two against Cincinnati. Yeah, I totally agree. I mentioned that earlier that I think Cincinnati made a lot of mistakes and it's good that they can clean them up now. I didn't see Ohio State make any mistakes last week. Um, obviously, if there were some later in the game, I mean, what were some of those mistakes? Where can they be vulnerable, whether it is against Cincinnati Saturday or Nebraska further down the line? I mean, what 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 is it that Ohio State has to clean up? Yeah, I mean, it's hard to tell from one game. Again, I think they were working on a lot of things. I, almost used it as a scrimmage. I, I don't think you saw the true defense, the true offense uh, in week one. So it's hard to say just from that. I will say in watching the game, FAU had a lot of success on defense when they were able to throw some blitzes at Ohio State, some extra men, whether it be J.K. Dobbins um, not picking up his man and going out for a pass, or whether it be the offensive line not making the right adjustments and reads and calls uh, and, and carrying out their assignments. I think there was a few vulnerabilities there that I expect Luke Fickle and Marcus Freeman to exploit this week or try to exploit 
uh, and I expect Ohio State obviously to be much more prepared for that. I think overall, though, the, the thing going into the season, and, and I think still applies, is there is a lot of new for Ohio State. There's a new head coach. There's four new defensive coaches on that side of the ball. Uh, there's four new starters on the offensive line. Uh, there's a new starting quarterback. They lost a bunch of receivers. They have plenty of talent there, but it's all new starters for the most part, even though those guys played last year. Um, there's a number of new starters elsewhere throughout um, the team. And so I just think when there's a lot of new, that means there's a lot of question marks that need to be answered. Now, I think these guys have the talent to, to kind of uh, make those calls and, and, and or answer those calls and, and answer those questions. But, you know, it's, it's going to be a process. The offensive line has to gel. Justin Fields has to get more comfortable in the offense and getting real meaningful snaps. Uh, Ryan Day needs to be comfortable being a head coach for a full 12-game season and hopefully – uh, beyond that for him. And then there's a whole new defensive scheme that, that, that the players have to adapt to and that the, the coaches have to call. So for me, I think Cincinnati catches Ohio State. I think Nebraska also in a couple weeks catches Ohio State at a great time as they are kind of forming an identity, uh, getting all of their bearings down, kind of learning the new system, having the new personnel, having the new coaches. And I think having a veteran team like Cincinnati with uh, really experienced coaches, uh, like they have, I, I, I think they're, I'm not saying they're going to beat Ohio State, but I think they're catching them at a great time. And I think they're going to certainly have an opportunity to beat Ohio State on Saturday. Yeah, I think a lot of what you just said is kind of what has me a little bit antsy. The fact that there is so much new. Justin Fields is making a second career start and Ryan Day coaching his second, and really his second game. So I do agree. Does it concern you at all? So I guess it kind of depends on what happens with Cincinnati, but I know you play Miami afterwards and then Indiana. Does it concern you that this team might not get tested for a few weeks while they're sort of integrating all these pieces and that the first time they really get tested, they might just, I mean, it could lead to like some kind of issues? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I think you got to look back at 2014 when they won the national title. Uh, they played a Virginia Tech team that I would say is very similar to the, to, to this Cincinnati team, uh, a real solid, sound defense that's really well coached, an offense that you know has some playmakers, but but certainly isn't I wouldn't I wouldn't call it the strength of the team. Um, and, and they caught Ohio State in a very similar situation with JT Barrett just starting. I think it was his second or third game overall. Uh, a lot of new starters on the offensive line. Uh, Ohio State still kind of coming out of the grieving of, of Braxton Miller going down and they caught Ohio State in Ohio Stadium in a, in a very similar circumstance. So I think Ohio State has to be worried this week um, that, that, you know, their inexperience is going to uh, play a part in this game. But I, I, I think the, the good thing about Ryan having Ryan Day versus Urban Meyer is Urban Meyer, you know, if he lost this game, it's not going to tarnish his legacy. People aren't going to question his future at Ohio State. They're not going to say, is he the right guy for the job, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. He had that built-in track record where if he lost four games in a season at Ohio State, people wouldn't like it, but it's not like he would be on the hot seat. I'm not saying Ryan Day will be on the hot seat by Gene Smith, the athletic director, or anyone else that matters at Ohio State, but if he loses to Cincinnati, people are going to start questioning every move Ryan Day makes the rest of the season. And, I don't, and, I, and because of that, I think – he is going to be a guy that doesn't overlook any opponent, has his uh, pedal to the metal, uh, and is really driving his team to play a strong, come out the gate strong and play uh, a strong 60 minutes of football. It's ironic I'm saying that after the first game when they didn't really do that. 
Um, but I think, you know, I don't think they're going to, like, overlook going to Indiana in a couple of weeks. Miami, Ohio, I, I don't think they should have a problem with. But, you know, I, I don't think any other game on their schedule is really going to be overlooked, um, especially early on when Ryan Day needs to win football games. I personally hope Ryan Day coaches there for decades to come because that's the one thing I'm scared of is that this is definitely a job that Luke Fickle will leave for in two minutes. Uh, thankfully, Ryan Day is new enough that I don't think he's getting fired anytime soon. How has the transition been? I know he coached a few games last year, but Urban Meyer, it was still Urban Meyer's team. So how has that been different? What's different about the way that Day is kind of running this team versus the way that Urban used to do it? Yeah, I, I mean, I think it's been a really smooth transition. They've kept a lot of the things the same. Uh, you know, there's a lot of familiar staff members that are that are holdovers. And I think overall in philosophy and what they're trying to accomplish and how they go about their business, they're very similar now. They're very different personalities. Urban Meyer was a guy who put fear into you, and you you didn't want to screw up because you were scared of, of what that reaction is. Ryan Day is definitely more of a player's coach. Um, you know, I think he relates really well to the players. I think they kind of see him as, I don't want to say a buddy, because he could be a, a hard ass when he wants to be. But, um, you know, I, I, I think he's a little bit more friendly to approach and things of that nature, uh, kind of more of a man of the people type of person and, and so I think that's the difference in their approaches but I think you know a lot of the things on the field in preparation and practice are, are pretty similar for the most part Dave's just kind of taking the Ohio State he always says this is Ohio State football this is the Ohio State offense this is the Ohio State way I'm just putting my little spin on it just the way Urban did kind of the same thing so um, again the transition has been pretty smooth but uh, they definitely have different personality types, and, you know, we'll see. I think I think the biggest test is when Ohio State loses a game. I mean, they could go undefeated. I, I think it's really hard to do in college football today. So when they lose a game, how does he react? How does the team react? How do they respond to him? Urban Meyer was always pretty good at getting the team to respond after, you know, a loss or facing some sort of uh, uh, turmoil or adversity, and I think that's really when you'll see – who Ryan Day is and how he's either similar or different than Urban Meyer. And then what about Justin Fields? Uh, he was super impressive in the first quarter. I know as soon as he started to get hit and get pressured a little bit uh, and knocked around, I think he was a little bit rattled. It was only his first career start, and he really threw the ball for the first time in his college career. What did you like from him? And did you agree with the? I know you're a big recruiting guy. So did you agree with the idea that they kind of went with him over Tate Martell? Well, I'll start with the first question, and uh, I think actually I was I was more impressed with Justin Fields' play after the first four drives than I was before because some of the things I've been hearing is that you know when things weren't going his way or he got rattled a little bit he would kind of unravel and things of that nature and he was getting hit uh, he was getting blitzed people weren't picking it up running backs weren't making plays guys were dropping balls um, but I thought he did a really really good job of keeping his composure keeping his cool running the offense, uh, not trying to do too much. I thought maybe he would try to, like, force some balls uh, in between tight windows into trouble. Uh, he didn't even really have anything close to an interception. Uh, he threw a couple balls away. He was able to scramble out of trouble in the backfield a few times, which I think is a, a huge asset for him. So, to me, seeing that was more impressive than seeing, you know, the first four drives where he absolutely torched Florida Atlantic for a rushing touchdown and three passing touchdowns. So, uh, I, I would say I was pretty impressed with him overall. Um, I think, you know, he's definitely got a ways to go, um, but uh, it, it, was, it was a good debut performance. And now when you talk about 
him versus Tate Martell. I think if Urban Meyer was still the coach, you could potentially debate that. But for the system Ryan Day wants to run, this was absolutely the right move. Uh, Tate Martell was not a fit. He can't – I don't think, from what I've heard, uh, I don't think he could throw the ball at the level you need to be able to throw the ball to execute Ryan Day's offense to its fullest. And I think the coaching staff felt that way, and that's why they went out and got Justin Fields. And that's why Tate transferred. Uh, I think I wish he – I wish, you know, I wish him all the best of luck because I think he's – a really dynamic athlete. I think he could be a great college football quarterback for someone. I just think he chose the wrong destination. Uh, whether you could argue, you know, I don't know if he was the best system fit in Miami. I think he could have went to a place like UCLA and played for Chip Kelly. I think that might have been a better system fit uh, or something along those lines where it's a little bit more of a spread to run type of system. But, you know, uh, I, I think it's pretty clear Tate Martell can't even win the job in Miami and Justin Fields is potentially going to be, you know, top five Heisman guy if he if he stays healthy and, and performs the way people expect. So I think they made the right call there. So what do you think of the Bearcats? What what does Cincinnati have to do with your boy Luke Fickle on Saturday to win? Or is it a lost cause and they can't win? Uh, absolutely not a lost cause. There's no doubt about that. I expect this to be a close game, at least at least through three quarters, if not longer than that. Um, I am going to predict Ohio State to win the game. Uh, I'll come out with my prediction on Friday and our staff predictions. But And I think it will probably be – if I was a better, I would definitely take Cincinnati uh, with the 16, 16 and a half points. I think it's going to be something like a 13, 14 point game, but I think Ohio State will score late to make the score uh, seem – uh, more decisive than, than the game actually plays out to be. But what I love about Cincinnati and, and obviously like knowing Luke, Luke Fickle, Marcus Freeman inside and out, I just love the way they play defense. They are a hard nosed, fundamentally sound, disciplined defense that flies to the football and makes, you know, even, even when you're moving the ball on them, they make you work for it. Uh, you don't, Obviously, every defense is susceptible to a big play here and there, but I know Luke Fickle, if you're going to go down the field on him, he wants it to be 10, 12, 14 plays um, and make you really, really work for that because he knows that you can't do that for 60 minutes of football. So I love that about Cincinnati. I think this year, you know, they're they're definitely at, at the quarterback position. I, I, I think, you know, Desmond Ritter being a dual threat guy, he looked pretty good throwing the ball. He can obviously run it. Um, you have Michael Warren there. I think that's a, you know, I don't, I don't know exactly what his health situation is. It seems like he's going to play from everything I've heard, but obviously banged up a little bit. Um, he's a bruiser. And, you know, I think those two guys can be dangerous. I expect Ohio State to come in and try to stop the run and make Ritter beat them with his arm. Um, I expect Cincinnati to do the same thing with Justin Fields. So, you know, it's going to be an interesting game. Uh, I love, you know, what Cincinnati brings. And I love when a team has a chip on their shoulder to some extent, or, or, or a little bit extra reason to want to win outside of just competing. Obviously, Luke Fickle, he'll never admit this, but he wants this game really, really, really bad. Um, and there's 74 Ohioans on Cincinnati's roster that want this game really, really bad, whether they were kids who grew up rooting for Ohio State um, and wanting to get a scholarship but just didn't get one, or they were guys who grew up in Ohio. And, you know, there's a lot of people in Ohio, especially in the Cincinnati area, that, that don't like Ohio State. Um, one reason or another, they, they want to get this win really, really bad and show uh, that they're not, quote, unquote, the little brother or whatever, you know, the, the, the kind of stigma is. So I think having that extra chip on their shoulder, having a really good fundamentally sound defense, 
Um, and having an offense that, that's probably the best in the Luke Fickle era, I think is, is all reasons to be optimistic if you're a Cincinnati fan. I think at the end of the day, Ohio State absolutely has a, uh, a pretty wide talent gap advantage. Uh, so I think that's going to wear Cincinnati down. And I think, you know, eventually they'll be able to, to do just enough to win the game. But this absolutely isn't a lost cause for Fickle and Cincinnati. I'll be there. So I really hope it's a close game. And I like what you said before that if you were a betting man, you would take Cincinnati with the points. I am a betting man. I did take Cincinnati. So that's encouraging to hear you say. Um, yeah, I think I'm, I know Cincinnati fans love Luke Fickle. It's great to hear it coming from a Buckeye, all the positive words about him and a lot of respect to the Bearcats that you think we can hang around and hopefully it is a good game and hopefully it's a kind of a statement thing for Cincinnati to kind of earn some respect heading into conference play. Yeah. I mean, I, I you know, you're going to have the, the cocky Ohio state fans on the message board that, or the, or the, the super pessimistic Cincinnati fans that are going to call this one a blowout, blah, blah, blah. And it absolutely could end that way. I, I, I could see, I, I mean, I see three scenarios. I see an Ohio state blowout. I see an Ohio state close win, or I see a Cincinnati close win. I don't see Cincinnati blowing out Ohio state. That would be pretty surprising, but, <laughs> yeah. I just, if you talk to, it, you know, I got obviously, I went to Ohio State. I, I know plenty of people there. I talked to them. I talked to people around both programs. And I think everyone or on the Ohio State side that I speak to has a ton of respect for Cincinnati, a ton of respect for Luke Fickle. And they're expecting uh, everything the Bearcats have, and they think it's going to be a close game. So uh, I think that's just the general consensus within Ohio State fans when it comes to this game. Awesome. And I have one last question because I know you're a recruiting guy. I don't know how well you followed these two players, but Jaheim Thomas had an offer from Ohio State. He chose Cincinnati. Evan Prater is the number five quarterback in the country, also chose Cincinnati. Luke Fickle is killing it on the recruiting trail and really, really trying hard to make the narrative that kids aren't just settling for Cincinnati. They're choosing Cincinnati willingly. Yeah, I mean, I agree with that. With Jaheim Thomas, I will say, like, I know this is, like, I don't want this to come off as sour grapes because that's how it does come off with a lot of programs when things like this happen. He did not have a committable offer to Ohio State. Uh, they wanted him to come to camp this summer and work out in front of the staff. They weren't sure. They think he's a tweener a little bit. Is he an outside linebacker? Is he a defensive end? So I wouldn't say Jaheim Thomas committed to Cincinnati over Ohio State, even though he had a quote-unquote offer. But he did pick Cincinnati over some really quality other programs, the Michigan States of the world and things like that. Um, and, and I do think that Luke Fickle is absolutely killing it. I know Evan Prater is a guy that could have earned – Ohio State is absolutely looking to take a second quarterback in the class. I think he's a guy who could have earned an Ohio State offer. Um, I know Purdue really, really, really wanted him as their quarterback in the class, and Jeff Brom knows a thing or two about quarterbacks and throwing the ball. That was a great get uh, for, for Cincinnati. I like him maybe the best out of anyone in their class, even though he's not necessarily rated the highest. I actually think – Prater and Thomas should be maybe flipped in their rankings. I think Thomas should probably be a high three-star kid who's, again, I think he's a tweener. Is he a defensive end? Is he an outside linebacker? I think at, I don't want to say, I make this sound bad, say at the level of Cincinnati, uh, but in the, in the uh, AAC and, you know, when you're measuring him against maybe like the Iowa's, the Michigan States of the world, I think he absolutely um, is a great prospect. When you're talking about Ohio State, Alabama, Clemson, I, I kind of see him as a little bit of a tweener. So I'm not as high on him as I am some other guys, but I really love Evan Prater. I think he's going to be awesome for Cincinnati. 
Uh, I mean, if Ritter keeps this up, it's going to be hard to take him out of the lineup. But I think Prater will be the next guy up no matter what, and he'll certainly compete for the job the minute he steps on campus. And then the other guy, I mean, they got a bunch of guys who I like in their their class right now. Um, But I really – I really think uh, David Jones, the linebacker, uh, is going to be um, a really good player in Luke Fickle's system. I liked him a lot. Um, I thought he was a guy that got overlooked a little bit by some of the bigger programs, uh, but I think he's just like the perfect Luke Fickle guy, so I wanted to point him out as well. And I think, you know, Cincinnati has, you know, a really, really strong class, the top class in the conference. I think they're within the top 50 in the nation. I expect them – to finish a little bit higher, definitely finish strong if they have another good year. And it's, it's absolutely impressive what Luke Fickle's doing. Uh, for a guy who at Ohio State, I would say, I don't want to say he wasn't known for recruiting. He wasn't known as like a, uh, a stone-cold killer on the recruiting trail. He was a guy who forged really good relationships and always found that like diamond in the rough. He was a great talent evaluator. So guys like Darren Lee or Malik Harrison, who's now Ohio State's best linebacker, um, just various guys, James Laurinaitis, just guys like that who weren't as highly ranked. He took them, he saw the talent in them, he developed them, and he got them uh, to be big-time talents. That's always what he was good at. But he's doing that, and he's also going out and getting some big-time players that, you know, going up against Big Ten schools and some SEC schools and, and really winning those recruiting battles. So that's absolutely impressive. That's awesome. That is impressive, and that's great to hear. I uh, really appreciate the insights on on the recruiting trail and also on the Buckeyes. Um, I'll leave you on this note. I do have a newfound respect for Ohio State. Everything that's happened over the last month with Jim Harbaugh and this James Hudson transfer thing and Michigan fans coming out of the woodwork, I have a whole new respect for Ohio State right now, and I hope you guys can beat Michigan at the end of the season. But I hope Saturday's close. I hope we do cover the spread. And I do wish you guys the best for the rest of the year. And thanks a lot for joining me. Yeah, man. It was great, uh, great being on the show. Hope you have a great time out in Columbus. I think it's, it's, you're going to be, no matter what, at the end of the night, win or lose, you're going to be really proud of the, ba- the Bearcats. And I think uh, everyone uh, in, in Cincinnati Nation is, is too. I think it's going to be a really good game. Um, and, you know, we'll see what happens. It's going to be exciting. And I love the atmosphere there. I went to this game five years ago, four years ago. So very cool being in Ohio Stadium, 100,000 fans. So definitely looking forward to it. Thanks a lot. No problem. That was Alex Gleitman. You can follow him at Alex Gleitman, G-L-E-I-T-M-A-N, a senior writer and recruiting analyst at Rivals in Yahoo Sports covering Ohio State. Showing a lot of respect to the Bearcats. I love it. Gives me a little extra confidence for Saturday. We'll see what happens. But a few minutes left. I kind of want to just go through the crappy conference that Cincinnati's in and just run through you know, what happened week one and what to watch for in week two. There's articles on this on the site as well if you want to check those out. Uh, the biggest win, and probably a bigger win than Cincinnati, but... One of the biggest wins from last week was Memphis beating Ole Miss. Anytime you beat a team from the SEC, it's going to be a big deal. It's kind of an ugly game for for Memphis. They won 15-10. to 10. The offense never really clicked, although Patrick Taylor Jr. ran the ball really well. Brady White struggled at quarterback. Uh, but Memphis able to get the win over an Ole Miss team that I, I think people are pretty down on. 
but the AAC West favorites able to pull off a win. Team that I thought would finish near the top of the AAC West, Houston, they picked up right where they left off, giving up 49 points to Oklahoma. I know that the Sooners' offense is amazing, and Jalen Hurts looked like a Heisman candidate going for 500 combined yards and six touchdowns, but Houston looked a little bit average, and playing Oklahoma is going to do that to you. Um, but the defense was unimpressive, and you know they play Prairie View this week, so they have a chance to get back on track. They do play Washington State in week three, so I'm looking forward to that one because Wazoo is a top 20 team right now, so we'll see how they can handle handle that game. Um, two game, The two games that really stood out to me, two big wins, SMU beating Arkansas State, uh, Shane Buscelli, we talked about him on the site in our transfer article and our kind of QBs to watch. Buscelli transferred from Texas threw for 360 yards, and Arkansas State is a Sunbelt contender. So a big win for SMU to win on the road. Now SMU this week plays North Texas, another group of five championship contender this time in Conference USA. So a tough early stretch for SMU. And Tulane, Tulane was really impressive, and I honestly think they had the most impressive win of any American team. FIU, like North Texas, is a contender to win the the Conference USA, this is the Tulane team that rolled out a, a new offense, and they put up 350 yards rushing, 540, 545 yards total, uh, beating FIU 42-14. Just an unbelievably impressive performance for a team that, you know, could be a sleeper contender in the AAC West. They go to Auburn this week, obviously not a game that they're going to win, but I'm curious to see if they can keep up with Auburn. Auburn only looked impressive in the fourth quarter against Oregon last week. So I'm curious to see, does Tulane, does Auburn just blow them out from the jump? Can Tulane hang around for a quarter or two? Or I'm curious to see see what they do. UCF, they won 62 nothing. I think I said 66 nothing earlier. Um, it doesn't make a difference. They blew out Florida and nothing really special about that um a lot of these there's a few other fcs games temple beat bucknell navy beat holy cross and then two games on friday night uh neither of them worked out in the americans favor uh first i'll do tulsa tulsa lost to michigan state 28 to 7 michigan state's offense very underwhelming but but tulsa poor tulsa so tulsa uh, has a running back, Corey Taylor, who said in the build-up to this game that he and teammate fellow running back Shamari Brooks were going to both run for 100 yards. They're each going to average five yards of carry and get the ball 20 times. So, <laughs> so Taylor ran for negative one, and Brooks ran for zero. So Brooks, slightly better game than Taylor. As a team, Tulsa ran for negative 73 yards. That is just... I know that it's a lot of it is because of sacks, but negative 73 yards rushing for Tulsa. Uh, they play at San Jose State, so they have a chance to get back into back into the green, so to speak. And then the other sort of stunning loss to me was South Florida. There's a lot of hype with USF. Uh, new offensive coordinator, Blake Barnett returning, year three of Charlie Strong. It just seems like there's a lot of... I, I know they ended last season on a six-game losing streak, um, 
it just seemed like things were building back up for them. And they were hosting 19th ranked Wisconsin. Good spot for to maybe sneak away with a win. Or at least, you know, have an impressive performance on national TV. None of that happened. Uh, they lost 49 nothing. They were horrible from the go- from the get-go. Charlie Strong even admitted after the game that he didn't have his team ready to go. This third this third season could be the final one for Charlie Strong. It certainly wouldn't surprise me. But for as it relates to Cincinnati, I think some people looked at that game at South Florida in November as one that could be tough for Cincinnati, one that some people had pegged as a loss if you're sort of a pessimist. Watching them play the other day, I was just kind of laughing. I, I feel great about Cincinnati going to South Florida now and have, especially after the way that they beat UCLA, I have zero doubts about that game. South Florida actually goes to Georgia Tech this week. They lost big to Clemson, but they're sort of a team in transition. So uh, it's, it's sort of a season on the brink for South Florida. The whole season could unravel if they don't beat Georgia Tech this week. They beat them last year at home, um, but... We'll see. It'll be Jeff Collins' debut, home debut for Georgia Tech. And then as far as the rest of this week's schedule goes, UCF plays at Florida Atlantic. I don't expect much of a, a much of a fight from FAU. I think UCF will win that pretty easily. And UConn is home to Illinois, an Illinois team that put up 42 points. So the game of the week will be Cincinnati-Ohio State. A couple of other uh, fun games to follow, like North Texas SMU and see how Tulane does, and then UCF. Uh, not not the most exciting schedule this week. Um, and yeah, that'll do it. Uh, thank you all. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Hope to see some people in Columbus on Saturday. Hope to see the team battle and compete. Make sure you check out. Make sure you keep refreshing down the drive all week and check out the articles. Uh, check us out on Twitter and on Instagram in the build-up to this game and to all of the football games throughout the season, and especially as we get into basketball, there will be even more coverage on down the drive. I'm Mike Schneid. Appreciate you listening, and go Bearcats!